So uh, she was already well into a pretty tiring day of um, shopping at a crowded mall at the height of Christmas crazy. And she had just spent about four hours dodging what might have literally been hundreds, if not thousands, of Christmas shoppers, you know, like a running back uh, going from store to store. She had a bunch of uh, bags. So she decided she was going to take a moment, find a coffee shop, sit down, take a load off, and have a rest. So she found a little coffee shop there at the mall, and uh, she bought one of those small bags of cookies. Um, Just, you know, got seven, eight cookies in them, a small bag of cookies and a latte, and she found a place to sit at that crowded coffee shop uh, across from a man at one of the tables because it was one of the only places left. So she sat down there with a magazine to relax with her cookies and her latte, and this man was across from her reading the newspaper. So she's enjoying her time, finally got a chance to sit down and relax. And after a minute or two, she reaches out and takes a cookie. And as she did, the man across from her reached out and took a cookie. Well, this put her off a little bit here and uh, felt like, chill out with my cookies, bro. Uh, But she didn't say anything, and she proceeded to sort of continue um, to read the magazine and, and move on with life. After another minute or two, she took another cookie And again, the same thing. The guy across from her reached over and grabbed another cookie. Now, at this point, she was annoyed. She was frustrated. I bought those cookies. They're my cookies. What kind of a brazen jerk would sit across from me and steal my cookies that I just bought? But, of course, that was on the inside. On the outside, she smiled and nodded as he enjoyed her cookies. So she composed herself, didn't say anything couple cookies, no big deal. She's trying to figure it out in her head. I spent this much, those two cookies, probably 15 cents. It's okay. After a couple more sips of coffee, she once again took another cookie, and so did the man. By this time, she was super upset, especially now that there was only one cookie left. Apparently, there were seven in the bag, if you're counting. I know a few of you are doing the math in your head. One cookie left, and apparently the man next to her, the man across from her, also realized there was only one left because before she could say anything about it, he took it, he broke it in half, offered the second half to her, and proceeded to eat the rest of the cookie himself. And then he had the audacity to smile at her like, I'm glad you're enjoying the cookie like I am, put his paper under his arm and walk off stomach full of stolen cookies. So this woman was fit to be tied, super frustrated. She was, always, she was already in her head um, talking to her friends and family about how offended she was that this random man from across from her took her cookies. So um, she was already having that discussion in her head. She folded her magazine, opened up her shopping bag, there to discover her own unopened bag of... Her cookies were there the whole time. <laughs> Turns out... This man was being gracious and kind and generous the entire time, and she had no idea. So, friends, at some level, here's the struggle in which we all kind of find ourselves in life. We actually think the cookies are all ours. We actually, like, in life, these cookies 
are all mine. I deserve them. I need them. I want them. These are my cookies. We are often blissfully unaware of blessing we end up missing because we're focused on this idea. We are so actually at heart self-centered, we think the cookies are ours. I know that's true of me. I'm not good at awareness of blessing in my life. I, I just admit it out loud. I'm not good at awareness of the blessing of God in my own life. I'm not good at being a thanksgiver. I'm actually pretty good at being ungrateful and perceiving the world as if it's all my cookies. I'm pretty good at seeing the problems, the disconnects. I struggle with being gloomy and miserable and struggling with depression on a regular basis. I I really do. That's one of my things I say on Monday nights here at Regen on this very stage. My name is Scott. I have new life in Christ, and I struggle with performance-based acceptance and addiction to pornography and pride, anger, and depression. And I say depression because that's the, the most recent and, and, and current struggle for me. I'm really good at seeing what's wrong. I know a lot of us are like that. Analytical freakazoid type A people like me. <laughs> you know who you are, peeps. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody for whom, like, it's sort of like they're always Eeyore, you know, the, the Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Um, you know, I'd look on the bright side if I could find it. You know, that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, this is the type of person who it could be raining five dollar bills like all over. And everybody's like this. And they're sitting there going, I wish it was 20s. I wish it was 20s. You know, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Friends, we're a lot like that lady with the cookies. Turned out she was the cookie crook. And the disconnect, the disconnect is awareness. The disconnect is awareness of what God has done to bring us what we really need. The disconnect is awareness of what God has done to bring us healing. Like fundamentally, before him, healing. And the disconnect's a lack of gratitude and, and awareness of, of that. You see, for us, gratitude can be a key that unlocks the awareness of the heart of God to heal. Becoming a thanksgiver can unlock for us awareness of the heart of God who wants to heal and bless and bring mercy and be gracious and to provide. You see, a perfect sinless God of the universe who created, created out of that heart to bless and to give. His unconditional love for us is always flowing. He wants to be good and gracious to us. This is what we see in the response of a leper to the healing of Jesus. The healing from Jesus in Luke 17. Turn with me if you're not there yet. Cool stuff to look at in these verses starting at verse 11. We're going to see an example of um, a leper who had the awareness um, that we all need. Says this, starting at verse 11. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to his death, the Apostle Luke is telling us here, on the way to finish his mission, he was passing along. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is Luke signaling to us here, this little phrase here. 
It's Luke signaling to us that Jesus was traveling in an area that was filled with both Jews and Samaritans. Now, Samaritans were despised by Jews at the time, sort of half-breeds. They were kind of Jewish, but not really, and they didn't treat them as if they were. So Jesus was in this place where there was quite a bit of both racial and religious tension going on here. And it says this, verse 12, As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Leprosy in the Bible is a general term uh, for a whole range of skin conditions. Um, At worst, the victims looked as though they had climbed out of graves. Uh, Tradition actually tells us that they they called them the walking dead. So that TV show is not new. Um, Yeah. So on the way to Jerusalem, he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, number one, like the law required, and two, lifted up their voices. Two responses here. Because of being lepers, they were supposed to yell as people approached them, unclean, unclean, so that they knew to stay away. But notice what they do here. What, notice what they say instead. It says they lifted up their voices because they noticed something here. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, they call Jesus here Master which was a commonly used term of respect uh, for teachers, for Jewish rabbis. Uh, But there's more here because they asked Jesus to have mercy on them by healing them. You see, according to a Jewish law, any person with a leprous disease was required to live outside the camp. Um, That's in numbers. And they were also required to yell, unclean, unclean, whenever anyone approached them. That's in Leviticus. Uh, So these these lepers were not only physically and socially outcast, but even worse, they were actually spiritually outcast. You see, the Jewish teachers of the day, they blamed their disease on their sin. So they yell out to Jesus because apparently They know that he can help, or at least they believe he can, or they've heard of his reputation because Jesus had been throughout that area. They know he can help. So they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so Luke records that as them verbalizing an expectation and a trust on their part that Jesus can help them. We know Luke implies this expectation and this trust. Because throughout his entire gospel, the only persons who directly refer to Jesus as master are followers of Jesus. In contradistinction to the Pharisees, the Jewish teachers of the law. And so in addressing Jesus this way as master, the ten lepers are exhibiting at least the first step in discipleship and following Jesus. Uh, They were in effect acknowledging Jesus' authority and his divine power, at least in theory, at least in theory. Whether they really wanted to follow him as master remains to be seen. And that's not Luke's point here. His point is the thankfulness that we'll get to. Keep reading verse 12. Jesus was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 14, when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Which is a bit of a weird thing to say. (laughs) He doesn't say, you're healed. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Which is a bit of a weird response. What we need to understand here is this. 
These are Jews and Samaritans, a mixture of those two. And they know, they know these rules and regulations about leprosy. So what we need to understand here is that when Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests, the clear implication is that they would have the faith to go to the priests. Here's why. You only go to the priest if you think you're healed. A leper would only go to a priest if they thought the leprosy had gone away. Because a priest was the only one who could declare him clean. A priest was the only one who could, who could say, okay, go back to be with your family in your community. The priest was the only one who could say that. So when Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priests, the clear implication is that the leper's faith in Jesus would be demonstrated by their obedience and would lead to their cure. Jesus' command, go and show yourselves to the priests, was for them to do what only a cured leper would go do. So this was an act of faith. It was Jesus saying, okay, you want to be healed, go. Show yourself to the priests. Prove. Prove you believe I can heal you. It was an act of faith for them to turn and go to the priests, which means in this passage, it's not that the nine were faithless. It's that they were thankless. That's the emphasis of this whole passage. Let me show you where we get this. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Keep reading. And as they went, they were cleansed. Meaning apparently they actually believed that Jesus could do that. But here's what Luke wants us to see. Look at, look at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, an important phrase we'll come back to. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. He returned praising God with a loud voice. It's an appropriate response from having been healed. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Another appropriate response of worship. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him, giving Jesus thanks. And then notice this at the very end of this whole thing. Luke includes this detail. He says, now he, the one who returned and gave thanks, now he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Luke has withheld this detail until the very end because it changes the entire scene. Here's what I mean. Up to this point, the way Luke records this here, um, relatively speaking, it's just kind of a run-of-the-mill miracle. I know that sounds a little silly to say, but it's kind of a matter of fact. It just kind of tells, here's what goes on in this miracle as it's happening, just like the previous 18 in in Luke's gospel, okay? It just sounds like a normal run-of-the-mill miracle, but he adds this detail in verse, um, verse 16 here. He says, now he was a Samaritan. To make this point, it wasn't even one of the expected nine who supposedly knew better, who understood how God works, who knew the prophecies about the Messiah, who knew and had been trained and been told from birth, you're a son and daughter of Abraham. You were blessed to be a blessing. It wasn't one of those who returned to give thanks to Jesus. It's this surprise that Jesus plays off of 
when he asks a series of three questions that are meant to press this point that thanksgivers are the one thanksgivers are the ones who understand the heart of God to heal thanksgivers are the one who understand the heart of God to give and to bless and to grace and to give mercy to people thanksgivers are the ones who understand the heart of God look at these three questions here at verses 17 and 18 Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return, to turn back and give praise to God except this foreigner? Where where are the others? (laughs) Though, of course, in the moment, Jesus sort of asks these questions to the Samaritan, the one who was there. He's not addressing them to the Samaritan. He's sort of looking beyond and addressing them to those who should know better. Which is to say, by implication, which is to say, by implication, if they apply, perhaps these questions are addressed to us when we are unaware of the grace and the mercy of God in our own lives. So we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Keep reading. Verse 19. And he said to him, Jesus said to the one returning Samaritan, Rise and go your way. You're going to be fine, dude. Your faith has made you well. Now when Jesus says this, your faith has made you well, he obviously means the leper has been cured of disease. But he's also commending the leper Because the leper's faith expressed itself in thanksgiving. The leper's faith actually expressed itself in thanksgiving. Jesus is making the point, faith is real when it expresses itself in gratitude to God. You see, friends... Our thankfulness, our worshipful response of gratitude to God, or the lack of it shows whether we truly understand God's mercy and goodness and grace. The presence of worship, thankfulness to God, or the lack of it, shows whether we understand the grace of God that we've received. So, simply put, ask yourself this question. Is is regular thankfulness and gratitude for the wonder of having my sins forgiven and being called a child of God, is that something that, like the one who turned back, is actually expressed in thanksgiving in my life in a way that gives credit to where credit is due? Or are you too upset at your cookies always being eaten such that you neglect the one who gave them to you in the first place? And that's true of cookies. It's true of all of our material possessions. It's true of the vehicles that got you here. It's true of your salvation. People who are grateful to God always have enough. Because they know they have more than enough. 
People who are not thankful seem to never have enough. Because there's a direct relationship between thankfulness and gratitude to God and our recognition of our need for divine healing. Thanksgivers know they need Jesus. They know it. And they show it with their gratitude. Self-righteous people, they don't need to show gratitude because they've earned it, right? They've earned it. This is their thing. These are my cookies. I deserve all this. There's a direct relationship between thankfulness and gratitude to God and our recognition of our need for divine healing and our need for a Savior. Just think again, in closing, just think again about uh, Luke's statement in verse 15, about the point at which the Samaritan turned back to give thanks. It says, when he saw that he was healed, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back to give thanks. There's a direct connection between awareness of having been healed and turning back to give thanks. Let this simmer. There is direct connection between our awareness of having been healed and turning back to give thanks. Friends, this is why we gather week after week. This is why we gather as an assembly of followers of Jesus. It is to see again. It is to see anew that we have been healed so that we would be people whose lives are always about turning back and giving thanks. Let's pray, friends. Father, we are uh, we're grateful for words of challenge that come to you from your Son, Jesus, demonstrating the lives of those who were faithful before. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to show us how uh, you have given us everything we call our own to be stewarded for the sake of expressing your goodness and glory. Give us, Lord, a vision that believes that that is true.